0: Welcome to The Cross Church. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or contribute online at thecross.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, faith family and friends, this is Pastor Chris, and it's the second week of our message series entitled, I Love My Church. When we say I love my church, you got to remember, we're not talking about that it's my church, like I didn't die for it, Jesus died for it. You didn't die for it. He died for it. So it's his church, but it's my church in the sense that God's called me to be a part of this local fellowship. And I pray wherever you are, maybe you're around the corner or you're around the world, uh, that you feel like, hey, we can be your your faith family. I would encourage you, though, wherever you are, find a place that physically you can plug into. Uh, This is such a great supplement, what we do online, but it's never a substitute for just the manifest presence of God this supernatural body that we call the church. Um, back in 1961, at training camp, it was Vince Lombardi who took a football and he put it in front of his professional players at the time. Uh, and you got to understand, these guys had the year before lost in the fourth quarter a chance at the Super Bowl uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles. And he looked at these men who had been playing football all their life, and he said, "This is a football." Now, why do I say that to you? Well, this message is is somewhat a reheat of a message I preached about 18 months ago, whenever uh, it was in January of 2021, Uh, we were kind of coming out of COVID, and our faith family was about a thousand less people in attendance than is there today. And I'm telling you, God has done some amazing things in these last 18 months. And the reality is this. I believe the reason he's done some great things is because we have put into practice what God's Word teaches us about what the church is. You know, I have one uh, point to drive home with you today because, and I've been using this phrase a lot for a while now, and I I think it's one of these phrases that I'm going to be saying even even more in the days ahead because if it's ever been important that we as the people of God understand what the church is, it's now. In fact, the word church actually comes from this, this Greek word, ekklesia, which means the called out ones. God, whenever He calls you into a relationship with Himself through Christ Jesus, He's called you out and now you're a member of what is called the church or the called out ones. And in the culture in which we live, the thing I want to just drive home with you over and over is simply this. A divided world needs a united church. A divided world needs needs a united church. In fact, say it with me, a divided world needs a united church. And so what does it mean to be the church? What? How is that expressed? Uh, we've got two passages we're going to look at today. Uh, you could go with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Then we're going to flip over to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 42 through 47. Andy Stanley, great pastor, really good leader, Said this: Jesus is the hope of the world, and the local church is the vehicle of expressing that hope to the world. Jesus is the hope of the world, and the local church is the vehicle by which that hope is expressed to the world. We live in times when people are desperate for hope, and if Jesus is going to be made abundantly clear that He is the hope of the world, it's going to happen through us, the church, the called-out ones, because we're His hands, we're His feet, we're His voice, we are those things. Job fourteen five says this: since his days are determined, and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. You know the thing I began to realize uh, not too long ago is how precious time is. It's the one thing you can't make more of. It's the one thing you can't get back. Oh, you can make money, man. You can make a name. You can make all these things, but you cannot make more time. And I remember as a 14-year-old child, whenever God called me into the ministry, I just knew then that God was calling me to give my life to the local church. Why? Because Jesus gave his life for the local church. And it just seemed fitting that if I was going to have a life that was going to eventually somehow have any kind of impact on eternity, my life needed to be connected to the local church. Now, obviously, I'm a pastor. It looks maybe a little different for some of you. Although it's not different for you because you're one of the called out ones and you've got to understand what that looks like for you. You see, um, a couple of things I want to drive home with you today. First is in, in Matthew 16, 18. Notice what it says that it says. Jesus is with his disciples and he's asking this question, Who do men say that I am? And they give all these different answers you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets. And, and then he asks this question, Who do you say that I am? And it was Simon Peter, one of his disciples, who identified and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's in Matthew 16, 18, that Jesus gives an affirmation, and he tells us something. So the first time in the New Testament we see this word, or an ecclesia, or the word church, actually used in print. And he says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, a divided world needs a united church. Say with me, a divided world needs a united church. So write this down. Understand the dynamics. Understand the dynamics of what God is doing in the world through his church. First thing I would tell you is this: it's a people, not a place. You know, I grew up going to church. Maybe many of you grew up going to church. In fact, my Mimi, I'll never forget it. When I was a little big boy, she taught me this little rhyme. She said, there's the church and there's the steeple. Open the door and there's the people. The church is really not a place. The church is a people. In fact, I grew up um, kind of with a segmented understanding of the world. I kind of had my world over here and I kind of had the church over here. And so what happened is this, we would go to church. So I would kind of leave the world, and I would sort of go to the church. And so in my mind, right, just like I took karate lessons and piano lessons and just like I had you know, played sports and this kind of thing, I left my life, and I went to the church. It was kind of like another lesson. It was another part of my schedule. It's something I did. It was an hour or so in my life, usually in my case about three or four hours a week. Why do I tell you that? Because I think whether we we own it or not, for us we don't realize that that word "I'll build my church," the called ones, we fail to remember that it's a people. So see, it's not property. It's not that I go to church; I just go to some property and I just sort of spend some time there. It's not a program. I think sometimes we think that the church is, you know, it's great that we have children's ministries and 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 preschool ministries, and student ministries, and things for families, and married people, and single people, and senior adults. It's wonderful, but a program is not the church. It's not a place. It's not a place. It's not just this place that I go, and it's just familiar, and I see a bunch of familiar people, and I have the same old conversations. No, the church, the people represent the hope of the world. Like if Christ's hope Is going to make it into the world. It's going to happen through the people of God in that place. Uh, And and so it's it's bigger than that. Notice this. It's not a people. It's not a place. But it's also, it's Christ. It's Christ because he said, upon this rock I will build my church. My church. Jesus is into building his church. Here's what's fascinating to me. Um, He's the only one who died for it. He's the only one who gets to lay claim as head of it. And yet what I find in America, because in America today, we have so many different expressions of church. In fact, whatever, wherever you grew up or whatever you came out of, you kind of bring that baggage with you, good or bad, into the local context of the church. This church, for instance. And, and why do I bring this up? Why do I draw this out? Why do I challenge you with this? Because here's the thing. It's his church. Sometimes I get called into churches, they'll ask me to um, come in and maybe consult and, and give some input as to, you know, how they can be more effective. And uh, so people will say, hey, you know, you know, hey, pastor, you know, what do we need to do? How do we need to do this? The, one of the very first things I do is I look at how they're structured. I look at how they're structured. And the thing that you have to realize about King Jesus is this, is that he's a king. In fact, the Scripture said he's a king of kings and lords of lords. You do realize that in heaven we have no democracy. It, it, it is a monarchy. He is king. And therefore, he rules and he reigns over his kingdom. And here's what's fascinating about that. You know, history is obviously blighted with the stories of bad kings. But history also has stories of some really good kings. Now, I'll just say this. We've all grown up in this country... Now, here in the States, maybe we're watching outside the States, you have a different experience. I don't know. But if you're in the States, which most of you will be, you do realize we grew up with a democracy. And a democracy, it's all about our unalienable in- 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 rights. It's all about us getting to have our say and ultimately, really and truly, get our way. But you understand the church is, is not about you. It's not about me. It's about him it's about his ownership it's about what he wants it's it's about the greatness or the smallness of, of said organization is listen it's dependent upon him because he is the king he is King Jesus and what I have found in, in America particularly is because our democracy has so infused the church is that we we feel like you know we should be able to say this or say that now the scriptures are very clear about, about authority and about positions in the church. And about and, and by the way, that, that's the nature of it. And here's the trouble we have in our culture today. We love to rebel against authority. We, we love to not let anybody tell us what to do. And I'll tell you, it's it's starting to impact and erode the effectiveness of the church in America. Because what's happening is this. There's rebellion toward anybody who God, not the person God sets up in a spiritual office. So I say that to you because if we're gonna, if we're gonna be people who are called out, we're gonna be a part of of the church, then we gotta do it God we do it his way. And we gotta be reminded it's his. He owns it, he establishes it, how it should run. We should never create anything that will be a barrier to the biblical basis by which Christ has set up his church. You see. Divided world needs united church. Say it with me: the Divided world needs united church. Notice this next thing: It's expanding, because he says this: I will build my church. Jesus is building his church. Jesus builds. It's expanding, even in a world where we find and hear all these statistics all the time of how bad Christianity's doing in the culture and how few of people are now a part of faith. It's amazing to me that you find pockets of vibrancy in the the kingdom of Christ. I'll simply say this. um, What God has done in this church in the last 18 months has been nothing short of His miraculous, supernatural hand of favor upon us. And I say praise the Lord because Jesus has done it. No doubt about it. Um, Jesus said these words in John 15 too. Every branch of me does not bear fruit. He takes away every branch that bears fruit. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. There are going to be times whenever God will prune the branch so it can produce more. I believe we've experienced that in our day and our time. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'll say this, you may have to do it in the future as well. You have to always prune so it can grow back stronger. It can grow back more vibrant. But here's the key if Jesus is building a church, there is growth. Like, there are some folks, I think, that in, in the church world who have um, kind of made it uh, a deal that, you know, we're small or we don't grow very much, Or and I'm going, hey, it's not about the size of the church, but it is that there is growth, both objective. Like, if you plant a crop, you know, one year, you may have a bumper crop. You got so much food, you don't even know, you don't have enough barns to store it in. Maybe some years, you you produce a crop, and man, all you get's a bushel. But here's what you produced. You produced something. And I would say this, it's imperative in churches that there's some sort of objective, tangible growth, but then there's also subjective growth. There's the stories of transformation. There's the deepening. In fact, you're going to hear about some of those here later in this message. There's a fourth thing, and I want you to notice this. It says this about Christ church. These are these are the dynamics of the church that he's doing. It, it's not about, it's about people, not a place. It's Christ. It's expanding. But notice this, it's offensive. It says, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Like all that you understand that the enemy, the devil, has been given some authority at this moment in history to be able, right, to set up his kingdom, if you will, in this world. But he's a defeated foe. He's gonna lose. And in the meantime, here's what should happen. The church is supposed to bust up those strongholds. The church is supposed to be an offensive force in this world for good. J.R. Tolkien said like this, there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. The first church ran to darkness. The first church ran to help. The first church went toward danger for the cause in the name of Jesus. And the church in our day, I'm just telling you, church, I'm talking to you called out ones. We have to be on the front lines with these things as well. You see, a divided world needs a united church. And so let me ask this question. What makes a church? So here are the dynamics of what Christ is doing, but what are the marks of a church? Because it seems to me that if we're not careful, we'll just sort of make a church whatever we want. In fact, I would tell you this, that Christ has a church that has a mission. Now, think about that. Jesus constitutes the church, and that church has a mission. But I see in our world today something very dangerous that's happening. There's some people in the world that have a mission. Sometimes those that, that it, it, it takes up some sort of social justice or it takes up some sort of a cultural issue. And so they have a mission or an agenda. And check this out. They create a church that then they create a Christ. And so, isn't it amazing when you look in the culture of the world today how there's some people who celebrated Jesus that when I look in the pages of Scripture, it's not Jesus. I mean, in fact, it's the furthest thing from Jesus. In fact, it's heresy. Notice what the marks are. Notice what it takes to make a church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 tells us this. you got to understand what's happening. There's been this event called Pentecost. Jesus is is resurrected into heaven after 40 days on the earth after the cross. He tells his disciples to go into this upper room and to wait for the promised Holy Spirit to land. After that happens, the church blows up in number. 120 in that upper room, 3,000 get saved at the day of Pentecost. This now becomes a movement across Jerusalem the known Roman world, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And here's what it says about the dynamics and the marks of a church in that early day. It says, And they devoted themselves, that's all these disciples or these Christians, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul, done through all the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And look at what happens. As a result of these people just living in community with one another, look what happens. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Like, this was such an irresistible community of, 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 of the early church that people wanted in on that, and guess what? God is the one who made the additions. I see five marks of a true church, and we for a long time in our faith family have held these up um, as marks of a, of, a, of a church and also marks of a disciple. Because here's the thing. When you become a Christian, you also become a disciple. The word disciple... Uh, means learner, right? It, it, it can mean protege. It can mean apprentice. It can mean all kinds of things. So it's important that as people of the cross church, we understand the target we're all trying to achieve. So I'm going to give you this definition, okay? Disciples of, the cro- of Jesus Christ at the cross church are those who believe the gospel, gather for worship, grow in a group, give to what matters, and go change the world. So notice with me in this text these five marks. The first of these marks that is so important for disciples is simply this. We gather for worship. It says right here, verse 46, they day by day attended the temple together and breaking bread in homes. You're going to notice there were two strategic places that these early disciples met. They met in the temple. See, you got to realize these 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 who were Jews converted to Christianity, they they weren't planning on like breaking out and starting something separate from Judaism. They actually saw Jesus as the completion of Judaism because he was the promised Messiah. That's why the nation of Israel today still is blinded to the darkness that they're in because they've not acknowledged Christ as their Messiah. And and so these thought, hey, this is just going to be the fulfillment of our faith. We're going to keep moving on in this. So they started by going to the temple and they worshiped there together. See, there's, there's something powerful about corporate worship. Um, and Psalms 22:3 says this: Yet you are holy, enshrined on the praises of Israel. You do realize that, th- that you and I have to be a part of corporate worship. If we're going to be part of the called out ones, if we're going to be a part of the church, it's essential that we do this. And here's why: because you cannot replicate this on your own. You know, you can be in your car, listen to the great praise and worship and you can even have a couple of friends, but whenever we gather, and so as we gather on the weekends, and we have hundreds of people gathered in rooms, there's, there's something beautiful about, first and foremost, that this is the manifold wisdom. This is what the body of Christ looks like. It's all these ages, it's all these races, and it's, and it's both genders, and we're there, and we're extolling, and we're exalting God, and it's, it's, a, it's a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. In fact, Hebrews 10.25 says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is that day? The day of Christ's imminent return in church. I just can't help but believe that perhaps some of us are going to be that generation that never tastes death because he's going to return. But here's the thing. I hear people sometimes say, well, you know, I can be a Christian and not go to church, not attend worship. And my response to that is, well, um, there's there may be a kernel of truth in that, uh, but I'll just say this. You can be married and never go home, but I bet it's going to impact those relationships, isn't it? I mean, you, you can be married and say, hey, hey, that's great, we're married, but I'm never coming home. I can tell you right now, that's not going to work at your house, and if you claim to be a Christian, it doesn't work at God's house. You see, there's a second dynamic that also occurs. We see it right here in the Scripture. And it says, we gather for worship. But look at this. We grow in a group. We grow in a group. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and fellowship and breaking and bread. And where did they do this? They did this in their homes. Um, so in our case, we offer a, a multiplicity of offerings for people to get in a group. In fact, I would say this, that the small group ministry of any local church is the backbone of that church because it's the place where you're accepted, belonged, and cared for. It's essential. In fact, think about the life of Jesus. Jesus himself was a part of a group. Jesus is Jesus, but Jesus is a part of a group. Jesus travels with 12 men. They're exclusive to him for a period of three years. He invests in them. And hey, by the way, one of them was a traitor. You're like, well, I just don't go to church because I may get hurt. Yeah, Jesus knows how you feel, all right? But it doesn't mean you don't have a group. Jesus had 12. Then Jesus had three among the 12, his inner circle. And then among that inner circle, he had a best friend. He had one. Why is that so important to us? Because you and I, we grow in a group. 1 Peter 2, 2 says this, Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You and I need to be in proximity of other people with the Word, so that we can grow up and become mature in our salvation. In fact, groups are what help us do that. They give us the confidence to do that. You're among the family of faith. You got to find your family who can come alongside you. You got to find those people who are going to help nurture and grow you. I'll just say this: if you have sat in the same classroom for over a decade friend, there's something wrong either with you or that group. <laughs> you, it's time to get you elevated to a place where you can serve and you can bless. That's what happens in these small groups. It's also important in this small group um, to have people who will stab you in the front, people who will tell you the truth, people who get close enough to you and can look at you and can love you enough to say, hey, I love you and I love you so much. I'm going to tell you about this, about the way you talk to your wife. I'm going to tell you this about how your tone sounds. I want to tell you this about how you avoid conflict. And I want to talk to you about this, about how you are unforgiving. Like, you got to have those people in your life. How else do you grow up? You know, this is true for pastors. Um, you know, since COVID, I'll just admit it's been hard for me to find a group. And uh, our, our new discipleship pastor... Um, Adam Ehrlichman, he he just went and challenged me, and challenged our entire staff. Hey, get in a group, and so I'm so excited. I'm, I found me a group. I'm gonna be going to this group. It's it's got some kind of older senior adult men. I was talking to the leader of it, and I said, Hey, I'm gonna go, but when the day of the week when I go, it's gonna probably be on Monday. I'd be honest, I probably don't have that much to add, um, so don't call on me. I'll I'll, I'll add something if I can. Uh, He's like, Hey, man, you just come. You don't have to prepare. You can just be in that group. And I want you to know something. I'm so looking forward to that. Like, I am looking forward to having these older men around me who can just, like, tell me some things, give me some wisdom, Uh, man, who hopefully I can encourage too. But I'm just being honest. I personally am looking so forward just being around those guys. It's going to be awesome. And you need that. Jesus did that. You need that. I need that. We all need that. Notice this, and also we, we also, not only do we gather for worship, we grow in a group, but we give to what matters. Because yeah, it says this in this text, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their processions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Um, You've got to realize something, whenever people in this first century became Christians, here, here's what's amazing. Um, they were truly making a, a completely altered way of life. In fact, many of them lost family, many of them lost spouses. It's thought that the apostle Paul was probably married and whenever he turned to Christianity, his wife probably left him. I mean, this, this, was, this was a total reorientation of life whenever you followed Jesus. It's kind of like Muslim families today. When a Muslim leaves their faith and turns to Christ, they get banished, blackballed from their families. And, and how did they make up this difference? People took care of them. You know, you and I should be the most generous people on the planet. You and I, the Bible even says this, you know, do good to all men, but especially those who belong to the household of faith. We should take care of one another. So one of the things we see is that we give to what matters. How do we do it with our time and our talent and our treasure? You know, so with our time, the one thing we can't get back, the one thing we can't make more of, we invest it in the kingdom. Our talent, those things God blessed us with, and our treasure, yes, our dollars, our money. We invest in kingdom purposes, and we invest in the people of God, uh, and then we take care of the world as well. There's a fourth uh, dynamic, and it's this, that we go change the world, that we go change the world. uh, Because it says this in verse 47, having favor with all people. uh, It says God added to their number daily those who are being saved. And here's what I would say about that. Why would people not want to be a part of that? This was a compelling group of people. This was a group of people that, I mean, they were eating together, they were praying together, they were taking care of one another. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? It's infectious. It's contagious. And I would say this, that if you and I are are living out as disciples these, these principles, let me tell you something. God will multiply. God will bring people who are desperate for what we have, right, to this place and into his kingdom and that is what it is all about because there's a the last thing, the last characteristic that all of this centers on, and it's the gospel. You know, the gospel is, is simply this. It's, it's the story of the redemption uh, of man by God's grace. It means this, that Jesus comes to the earth, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross for my sin and your sin, and then he, uh, he resurrects from the grave proving that he is, in, in fact, God, And then guess what? Now then, I have the opportunity to enter into a relationship with him whereby he takes the penalty of my sin. He takes away my shame and my guilt. And he allows me to have a relationship with him here and hereafter. And it's not just that. That gospel story applies to every facet of life. It applies to how you parent. It applies to how you are married. It applies to how you handle yourself at the workplace. How does God redeem these situations? How does he make you a better parent You and I want to be gospel-fluent people that we see the gospel in all that we do. You see, Jesus is building His church in our day and time. And I don't know about you, I want to be about building the right thing. I don't want to just build a thing. I want to build the right thing. I want to be a part of what He is building. And so perhaps you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. Please reach out to us. We'd love to help get you connected to Christ. And and if you say, hey, I'm looking for a church, please reach out to us. We would love for you to be a part of this faith family, or if you're elsewhere, we would get you connected where that may be. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, and I hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our series, I Love My Church. God bless you.